Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 113. We are back and better than ever. Uh, we're unable to record last week, but we are excited to record this week. And it's always difficult to have people uh, come on in the season, and especially at the end of the season. Uh, but I'm really excited to have this week's guest on, even though he's heading into sub, uh, sub-districts and sub-state here over the next few days. Jacob Mose, the head boys basketball coach at Ashland Greenwood High School. Uh, but before we get to Coach Moe's, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSACchiro.com or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on iTunes, so download, rate, and review the pod. Give us five stars so that we can get the word out to gain momentum in the ratings so that we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Jacob Mose, head boys basketball coach at Ashland Greenwood High School. Coach, I, I'm sorry I pried you away from the NBA All-Star game tonight. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I've been busy watching some youth stuff, so I haven't even taken a look at some of that uh, All-Star game uh, festivities this last weekend. Well, you know, uh, probably a little bit more defense played in your youth stuff, I'm guessing, at this point. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't bode well then for those NBA guys, <laughs> does it? Well, uh, it, there won't be much defense for the first three quarters, and then they'll crank it up in the fourth quarter. So probably by the time we're done taping, we'll be able to get to the fourth quarter and watch that all carry out. We'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how things are going. So, um, Coach, uh, you know, like I said, thanks so much for coming on tonight. I know uh, it's a crazy time of the year, uh, wrapping up into the season. You're getting ready for, for postseason play uh, this week, and uh, you got a heck of a team this year. And, you know, so I appreciate your time here this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Always glad to talk basketball. Yeah. Well, uh, for you know, we'll, we'll kind of start off with you the same way that we start off with uh, most of our guests. Uh, for, for folks that don't know a lot about Jacob Mose, uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us about you and, and, and how you uh, ended up being a, the head boys basketball coach at Ashland Greenwood High School. Well, you know, I suppose it started with my parents. Both my parents are, are teachers and and. Todd and are now retired top for, you know, around 35 years each. So uh, they were in the North Platte public school system the whole time. And so that's where I grew up. My dad coached a number of different sports from middle school through high school, track, football, basketball, you name it. He probably did it. And so I kind of get my uh, knack for the education field, I guess, from my parents. Uh, and then growing up in North Platte, uh, obviously got to play for a, a great coach in Dan Moore, and now he's the, the coach at Papillion La Vista. Mm-hmm. But uh, Coach Moore was a big influence uh, for me and, uh, you know, again, kind of guided me into coaching and, and saw what he did and how much he enjoyed his job and just thought, man, I'd like to I'd like to do what he does and, and the way he does it. And so uh, after high school, I was fortunate enough to play uh, college basketball at UNK, and uh, again, great, surrounded by great coaches. Coach Kropp uh, was the head coach there and uh, kind of reaffirmed that uh, education and coaching would probably be a good route for me. Uh, just enjoyed, um, learned a lot from both of those guys, and so they kind of, uh, I guess, influenced me into coaching. Mm-hmm. Um. How did you end up in, uh, do you have any pit stops before Ashland? You know, I was in New York for seven years and I, I was the, uh, start out as the freshman coach. And then I moved up to JV for about three or four years of each of those. And, and those were great experiences because you get to, uh, you know, as a freshman coach, you get to run your own practice. Uh, we were at 6 a.m. So that was unique and that was good for me. Um, sounds rough, but you know, it's something that the kids actually get used to and enjoy, Mm -hmm. um, as they get into a routine. And then when I moved up to JV or more or less 
you know, showing up to the after school practices, uh, you know, supporting the head coach in, in whatever way you can and uh, helping with summer camps and, and leagues and all that stuff. And so you get to see the the good stuff of varsity basketball and, and, and the bad stuff. And and, you know, you're not responsible any for for any of it. So it's kind of a little bit less pressure when you make mistakes. And mm-hmm. and I enjoyed my seven years there. What uh, what was the the appeal to Ashlyn Greenwood, uh, and 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 when did you know, you know, the time was right for you to start looking for that head coaching gig? You know, I suppose it just got to a certain point where you felt like you wanted to kind of lead a program, and that that I felt I was ready to do that. Um, and so then I was teaching middle school history and PE uh, there in York, and uh, this position opened up with with strength training, which. Uh, was obviously appealing to me since I, I've enjoyed that aspect of, of life and, and, and uh, sports. And so um, it also helped that my wife was looking to go back to school for nursing. And so uh, moving to this area kind of benefited the both of us. It allowed me to maybe take a step forward in the teaching and coaching field and also allowed her some options to get back to school and, and complete her nursing degree, which, which she did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you brought up coach Moore and coach crop and, and obviously your parents, but we'll, we'll dive in with, uh, with your formal coaches, uh, you know, other than mom and dad, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll start with coach Moore. uh, you know, obviously a big influence on you, but, uh, you know, what about his, his style? Uh, what are things that you have taken that you have, we'll call it borrowed. We're all replicators in this job. Uh, but what are some specific things that you took from Coach Moore that that you now have as part of your coaching philosophy and how you do things there at Ashland Greenwood? Yeah, you know, I would say first, I, I mean, there's several things, big things that I feel he did that that uh, made him a successful coach for for a number of years now. Uh, he, he made our team a family and, and his family, he had young, young kids at that point when, when I was going through high school many years ago and, and his family was always around our team, his wife and his kids. And, and it just felt like a close unit. He, uh, he was very good about, uh, traveling and, and taking us different places in the summer. And so you, you incorporate that family aspect he, he was amazing at that and he would he would take us and drive us anywhere uh, to give us a good basketball experience and uh, I believe before my senior year we he, he drove us all the way to California in in, in a uh, in a big passenger van with about oh eight or nine players and and he and his wife and three or four kids all under the age of what seemed like five Um and, and since he was from there, he lined up a few games for us out there and, and we enjoyed ourselves on, on the trips. Uh, we had competitive games out there. And, uh, you know, those are two things I think that have really stuck with me is, is he made it he made it a family and he was willing to do anything uh, for his players uh, and for his teams uh, to, to help them reach their potential. He was just he just did a really good job with those things, as well as many other things. Please tell me the van had air conditioning. <laughs> it, it did. Um, we were we were packed in there like sardines. But you know what? It it, it sounds terrible and miserable, and I bet it was. But I, I think uh, it, 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 if we could go do it again right now, you would go do it again just because of the the closeness of the the group of kids, the the enjoyment uh, and and the fun that he made those trips. Um, it, it was just a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've done that, uh, with my programs, uh, hopefully we'll do, you know, COVID is obviously with, with my new team has shut down any of that type of stuff, but we, uh, we've gone out to Notre Dame, we've gone out to Colorado, we've, we've done those type of things. Uh, one of my funnest ones that we did was we did a barnstorming tour is what we called it. It, We drove, played at a place. Uh, hopped back in the vans, drove another hour, had another scrimmage scheduled with somebody else for an hour, and and did stuff like that. And I and I think that's a that's a great, uh, like you said, just a great bonding experience for your team and for your teammates. And it's and it's uh, it, it just changes up everything that you do. I think, and and I think the kids really enjoy it. Most definitely, I think you know, in order to get you know from that good to great teams, I think I think your players have to care for one another, and when they're playing for each other. 
uh, I think you sell, you give yourself a, a better chance of being successful, especially in the long run. And so to, to build those opportunities where, where they can bond and hang around each other and, and grow to hopefully like each other, I think that just, just pays dividends on the court. Mm-hmm. What about Coach Crop that, that heavily influenced you that you still use today? Yeah, you know, Coach Crop was, again, an, another amazing coach. Um, he he kind of had your attention from the get go with with everything that that he had accomplished, and and how 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 mentally tough he was. But what I took from college is just the simplicity of the game. He made the game very very simple, and and we had you know guys that would go on and play professionally in Europe. We had very successful teams that made the elite eight, that made regional tournaments, and some of the most successful probably in UNK history. Mm-hmm. Um, but he made practice so simple. We could take the things that we're doing uh, at UNK and do them at and probably most youth practices. Um, but it was the intensity, the attention to detail, and the competitiveness of those those fundamental drills and skills that that he built into us. That uh, I was just amazed at, at how simple you could be at the college level and still find success. And and he was a he was a master motivator. Um, uh, at times you would be willing to run through a brick wall for that guy. And I think, I think all, all my teammates would probably echo that sentiment. He he just had a great, um, knack for motivating his teams. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you have an interesting job description. I find it interesting coach. I I don't know if anybody else will, but you're the, the head boys basketball coach at the varsity level, but then you spend your spring coaching track uh, junior high boy, uh, junior high track. I guess you didn't put a gender down for that. Uh, what are some things that that you use uh, that are in common with the two sports that you coach, and and what are what is different about going from such a team sport that basketball is, and you really have to require five people working together at all times to a much more individualized sport that track and field is. I mean, there's, there's team aspects about it with the relays and things like that, but, you know, largely individualized type of stuff. You know, you know, track is kind of a social event because, you know, there's downtime in between things They're they're long meets. And so you, you got to make it enjoyable. Not everyone wants to go out and, and, you know, <laughs> run all day or do whatever. And so I, uh, I um, actually, uh, I actually, uh, my wife and I were out walking the dog today. It was 65 degree day here in Nebraska, and we were walking past the the track at our local high school next to our house. I said, "You know, I miss a lot of things when our kids were younger, but the one thing I don't meet are miss are 8 a.m. calls for a weekend track meet. I, I just don't miss that at all. Right. So, so anyway, sorry that just popped into my head there. So no, you're you're right. You know they're. They're long, they're long days or long meets, and and so you, you got to make it enjoyable for the kids. And I think with with any sport or activity, um, you know, you, you want them to work hard, and you want them to to kind of make a connection with them and, and build a relationship with them, so that they they trust you as a coach and trust your what you're doing for a workout, how you critique them and, and try and give them small pointers to improve. And so I think whatever sport you coach, that's probably, you know, a, a common trait is just to try and get the best out of the kid, get them to work the hardest, you know, uh, uh, the mindset of kind of constantly and always improving, I think is big. And so if you're just trying to take, you know, a second or two off your, off your time or a 10th of a second or jump another couple inches further or higher, I think, I think those things are, are important just as you would in basketball. Let's try and, you know, make a a couple more free throws this game or, or finish in the lane a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel like coaching that quote unquote individual sport helps you with your one-on-one communication with your basketball kids? Yeah. You know, I've never probably thought about it like that, but I would say so. There's a lot more probably one-on-one connection and track just because of the, the fewer number of kids that you work with, um, than, than in basketball where, you know, you might have 15, 20, 25 kids at your practice and in track there's, there's times where you're just working with one or two kids and in the instruction and, and feedback can be a lot more one-on-one. So that goes back, I think, to developing just kind of a good relationship where there's, there's trust. They want to work hard for you. They want to listen and, and be the best they can. When, uh, 
when I saw you guys play for the first time this year, uh, when you played our boys up there at Fort Calhoun, I, I didn't know anything about this story, but I think it's an unbelievable story, and I, I know there's been a couple of big write-ups in the papers about it. Uh, but for the people that don't know about Max Parker's uh, story and and everything that he's gone through, I think this is such a, a great story. It's very uh, tragically unique, but it's it's had a tr- it's had a great ending to it. Uh, but, but tell us a little bit about Max and all that he's gone through and, and his development as a player and and just what he's brought to your program over the last couple of years that have helped put you guys in a situation where you got a, a great opportunity, not only to get to the state tournament, but to, to have a chance to cut down the nets here in a few weeks. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll try and summarize it as best I can. There's a lot to pack in with Max. Um, he is certainly a, a unique and special kid. Um, obviously for those that don't know, he had a, uh, firework accident while he was in middle school and, uh, lost most of his left hand. And so, um, it was definitely an unfortunate incident and, um, but in a positive way, it got him focused uh-huh. and he, he discovered that he always liked basketball, but he discovered that he could continue to do basketball. And then that, that kind of focused his, his, or piqued his interest. Mm -hmm. And so he started to work really, really hard at basketball, started to put a lot of time in the gym, um, lots of support from mom and dad and others in that. And, uh, you know, I remember visiting him in the hospital right after that. And I gave him the book, mind gym, uh, you know, just, uh, kind of a, uh, a mental book that I thought would be uh, important for him to read and maybe learn from and keep in the back of his mind just uh, to overcome the adversity and challenges that he would face. And so I know he, he read that and, and, and mom made him, uh, at least I think they read most of it in the hospital there. Mm-hmm. But uh, Max was not the best basketball player in middle school. He was not the best basketball player when he was in ninth grade. I don't even know that he started on our ninth grade team. And he just continued to work, uh, continued to spend time in the gym. Um, his sophomore year, he was playing a little bit of JV, and it, but he started to grow. And, and all that work that he had put in uh, eventually kind of blossomed there going into his junior year. He, he grew, uh, and that you know certainly always helped, but um, he was a good basketball player. In his junior year then, uh, he, he started uh, – all varsity games. He was an excellent defender, um, but he didn't really shoot the ball well from three. And, and Max is a really good shooter, and he was a good shooter last year, but he, he struggled with confidence uh, early in the season and just couldn't really get it going. Um, but all year long, he was a phenomenal defender, rebounder, uh, and did, did a number of things to help us out. And then at the beginning of this year, uh, when our year started, he got off to a really good start shooting the ball. And when he plays with confidence, he is an outstanding player. And uh, he, I, I want to say he's just above 50% shooting a pretty good volume of threes. He's been in the 45 to 50% most of the year. He's finishing well in the lane, playing strong. Um, he's, he continues to be a good defender and rebounder. He's, he's just evolved into a really, really good high school player. And he is, he's one of the major reasons we're in the position we are along with a number of his teammates. Um, he's just done a really good job. And maybe most importantly, um, he brings the energy for our team. You know, every team kind of has a lot of them have an energy guy and, and that guy has off the charts energy. We just sometimes have to funnel it into a positive way. <laughs> A pen and a napkin university is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about the coach about coaching above and beyond the pen and a napkin universe. In our video series dealing detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising and social media. Go to a pen and a napkin.com and follow the links to order. Videos are ten dollars a piece, or you can get the bundle for fifty dollars. That's less than eight dollars a video. We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Appendant and Napkin University video library. You know, Coach, you bring up an interesting thing about Max. You know, obviously, there's a lot of attention to his story. 
uh, because of what happened with the fireworks accident and um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think bigger than that is oftentimes, and I know that I was probably guilty of this at various times in my career, we look at our sixth grade team and we go, okay, you know what? I really project out Billy, Freddie, uh, Bobby and and Jack as as being the four kids that are coming out of this group, and you know these other eight kids, I just don't see anything coming out of those eight, and and we oftentimes I feel like we we paint ourselves in the corner or we just assume things that are going to happen a certain way instead of letting the string play itself out and let these kids develop at, at their own rate, and and everybody's running a different race. And and is that something you've learned from Max's story as well? You know, definitely. I think all coaches kind of fall into that is when you see, you know, your better players or or your top five or three or whatever it is that you can come sometimes, you know, maybe write off some of those guys that aren't in that group. And, and I've learned over the years, uh, and especially with our youth program, that that's something we want to avoid. Um, we had a player a year ahead of Max that was the same way. Uh, he probably started on our freshman team, but he was, you know, probably the third, fourth or fifth option and then worked his way up by the, by a senior year where he was basically, uh, you know, one of our leading scorers. And so Max's, Max's story is the same thing. Um, you just, I, I tell our other coaches and, and things that you never know in, in seventh and eighth grade and even ninth, who's going to continue to work hard mm-hmm. and who's going to want to become a gym rat and, and get in the gym. Who's going to, you know, develop some strength and quickness and explosiveness that they didn't have as ninth graders that other kids might have already had. And so everyone develop develops at a, at a different rate. And, and so, you know, we try and, you know, you, you try and keep those kids in your program and, and, and working hard as long as you can to see who's going to, uh, you know, kind of make it in the long run. Well, especially at a program like yours and mine, we're in small towns. It's not like uh, we've got a bunch of kids that we can encourage, I won't use the R word, uh, that we would encourage to come to our district and transfer in or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, we have to keep as many, you know, we have to cast a wide as, as wide a net as possible and let that net go as deep as possible uh, so that we can allow those kids to develop. And I love what you said about your youth coaches there, that it's it's not about the sixth grade team or it's about the seventh grade team. It's about what these kids are going to do when they're juniors and seniors. And, and, and how do you emphasize that in your program? Yeah. You know, you just, we, we stress, you know, continual improvement. And so, you know, we've had freshmen that have been the best players, uh, kind of on the opposite end of what we just talked about. They're, Mm -hmm. they're the freshmen and they're their best players, but they don't maybe have the work ethic or, or mindset that they want to improve and work at it, or they don't want to spend the time. And, you know, a year or two later, now they're, you know, third, fourth or fifth for their, for their grade. And so, you know, I think it's just important that you kind of, uh, you know, give everyone an opportunity and, and see who's going to kind of run with it. That's, it's kind of like what I do with, with strength training class and things you want to give, you know, in our basketball team, you want to give everyone the tools and then you want to see who's going to kind of take the bull by the horns and go, you know what? I want to be good. I want to spend time in the gym. I want to work hard and this is what I want. And I think there's always kids everywhere and every grade level all across the board that, that will want to rise to the occasion and meet those standards. Mm-hmm. You just never know who. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and like I said, I think you do this job long enough, you're going to be guilty of thinking, Hey, this, this kid in fifth or sixth grade is going to be an absolute, uh, stud. And, you know, maybe they're, they're done by the time they're a freshman or they haven't started playing in your case, let's say, uh, they haven't started playing football yet. And then they get out and they start playing football and they're like, Oh man, this is a blast. I love this. And, and those, uh, those, intentions uh those uh what's the word i'm looking for here uh their focus shifts and somebody else shifts from hey i never really played basketball before but hey you know i'm trying to i'm starting to figure this out and i got a knack for this and they start putting in more time and so i think it's really dangerous for any of us to assume anything at the seventh grade level or at the eighth grade level, or or even like you said with uh, with Max's story here, even at the ninth grade level, that we have to continue to develop all of our kids at all times. 
Yeah, yes, exactly. That's 100% true. Um, and, you know, we, we've had, you know, Kale Jacobson would be, you know, an example for us where he was the best fourth or fifth or sixth grader, outstanding and phenomenal. And then he did come through high school and he is an all-state caliber player, an amazing basketball player. And we could see that, you know, at a young age. But I, I just think that's just a rarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, for kids to do. I, I, Hey, I wish I had, I wish I had 20 Kale Jacobson's coming through. Um, but unfortunately we, we, we probably don't cause that, that doesn't happen anywhere. Um, he, he was just physically and most importantly, he was, he was mature enough to kind of handle varsity basketball at a young age, but most kids, they just don't, which is perfectly fine. They just aren't ready to, play and compete physically and mentally at that high of a level. And I think sometimes mom and dad and sometimes some coaches can get, you know, a little overconfident that, oh, Johnny in the eighth grade is going to step in and compete and play. And it's really, really hard to do. And I know it's a class C1 level and sometimes you go, well, it's just C1. Well, it's still extremely competitive basketball and it takes a dynamite player uh, to step in there and have a major impact as a young kid. So you got to be careful uh, with, with thinking like that, because it can kind of get you in trouble sometimes. Uh, how do you take a look at those decisions and, you know, what, what are kind of some of the things that you and your coaching staff looks at when you have a kid who is a good player as a freshman, but are they really ready for the JV level yet, or a sophomore who's a nice player, but are they really ready for the varsity level? What are some of the the factors that your coaching staff looks at as you put together your rosters? All things being equal, it's a typical situation. You know, I know, you know, sometimes you have teams that just go, "Hey, we have no choice. Uh, she may not be ready, or he may not be ready, but we need them to be ready because we don't have anybody else that's a post player or a point guard or whatever, whatever it may be." But you know. Let's say all things being equal, what are some of the factors that you and your coaching staff look at? You know, whatever level the kid is playing at, we look what they do against the best teams on our schedule. And so I, I think we have a fairly strong schedule. So our JV kids play good JV teams. Our our C team schedule has, has some really, really good opponents. And so what are they doing against uh, those opponents? So as, as you look at kids trying to move up the ladder, try and figure out who's going to go where, I think that's one big thing is, is what does that kid do against the best competition? And that's important. And, and I think another thing that, that we look at uh, as well would be uh, what do they do well and will it translate to the next level Uh so if you've got a younger kid playing freshman basketball and he's uh he's a really good shooter you know that that probably translates to to maybe some jv success if you've got you know uh, a freshman kid that might be a a six foot post player uh that's that's you know, physical around the basket and can, can finish a little bit around there. Will that translate at the JV level? Well, it might be a little bit harder because there's going to be some six, three and six, four post players that, or inside players that they might not see uh, at the freshman level. And so we, we talk a lot about what, what does the kid do well and will it translate and, and maybe what's their weakness and kind of, will that be exposed at the next level? And so those are some things we talk about as we, we work on moving kids up the ladder. Yep. A lot of coaches dream, and and you you've had a a, a great season this year. We guys like twenty one and one right now, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, quite the opposite of what you went through about five years ago, uh, where you went through a it was a varsity season that you did not win a single game. Um, you know, kind of the nightmare scenario. And say, you know, if if twenty one and one is the dream, oh and whatever it was is is the nightmare um but you know it had to make you tougher it had to make you stronger as a coach uh after going through it now at the time obviously it had to be a miserable miserable experience uh but but for coaches that are struggling right now uh coaches that might be rebuilding a program or a younger coach that has had a really down year i mean Obviously, we're at the end of February here, so most teams are going to be wrapping up their season in the next week or two. Uh, you know, what did you learn? It's it's easy to learn things when it's twenty one and one, but when you're oh and whatever, 
it's sometimes hard to see the, the, the silver linings in those scenarios. So what did you learn from that experience? You know, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's easy. It's now it's easy for me to say I'm grateful that for that experience because you appreciate years like this uh, so much more. But but we definitely did learn a lot, you know, as, as a coach in practice and watching film, you're trying to take little things and find little ways that maybe you can um, get a small edge or find some success against an opponent. And so, you know, whatever that might be, you're, you're trying to practice it. You're trying to find it on film and you're trying to take it to a game to the point where, you know, you can, you can have a successful quarter. You can have a successful half or a couple minutes. We did not change uh, anything about our program during that year. Uh, we're a man-to-man defensive team, and that's what we did, and that's what we were teaching. We were playing a lot of young kids. Uh, I would say, if, you know, six-ish freshmen in our eight-man rotation. And so you can imagine the physical and mental challenges we faced Um when you do something like that. So we, we stuck with our principles. We didn't always execute them at a very high level. And we, Mm -hmm. we struggled to take care of the ball and to compete athletically and to do a number of those things. But we, we continued to teach our offense the way we wanted it to look down the road for them. Our defense, the same thing. And, you know, you, you run into those situations like that where your team really, really struggles. And it, it got to the point where, you know, it's like, hey, who do, who do we play? Who do we start? Who do we, you know, this and that. And to avoid, uh, you know, maybe issues among the players, we created our some offensive standards that we still use to this day. And we just, we sat the kids down and said, um, you know what, we're not playing the best basketball right now, but we have snippets of guys playing good here and there and, and whatever. And so we started to create a, a list of things that we were looking for that kids could see, that kids knew about, that we could post results for. And then we would base our playing time and starting off of that. And so, you know, some some basic simple ones that we used was we wanted kids to to finish at uh, above 50% inside the arc. We wanted kids to be able to make one out of three three-pointers. And we thought those were attainable goals for high school kids. And it gave them something to work towards, something they could look at uh, through statistics. And then it gave them something to strive to meet uh, each game, each practice, and and everything we did. And so something, a lot of good things came out of that very tough season. Um. We're going to dive into those standards here. You kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but I'm going to forgive you, Coach. I'm going to forgive you. All right. So, uh, no, it it is a a tough thing, but I think you you hit the nail on the head where you probably figured out very quickly that if we're just going to judge our tangible successes on whatever the the scoreboard says after 32 minutes it was going to be hard to find good things to sell your kids and and so it's it's so important that you know as as coach Saban would say you know focus on the process and one play at a time and just focus on this individual play you know did you find yourself changing even your own communication during the flow of the games instead of thinking about you know what are we going to run or what are we going to keep in our hip pocket for the fourth quarter hey let's just win this one possession and put that emphasis on this one thing or this one detail and 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 how did you communicate to your kids during timeouts uh during quarter breaks to to keep the focus on those offensive standards or other small detailed or or small structured game uh things that you were trying to emphasize to your kids these small victories you know, it, it yeah, it, it did get tough because you can only get beat down so often before you just get kind of mentally exhausted. And so, you know, we would we would try and, you know, could we could we keep a quarter close? In all honesty, we may not win the quarter, but could it be, you know, could it be fourteen to ten? Could it be twelve eight? Could it be sixteen fourteen? 
And and so you take those kind of small victories. Can if a team's running zone, can can we take care of the ball and run our zone offense effective enough to to get good shots and have fewer than you know four or five turnovers in the quarter? And it, it probably sounds silly to say some of those things, but it was the honest truth. In order for us to find success, we had to kind of pull some of those things um, out so that we could kind of. Uh, build off of those and, and, you know, give the kids something positive. You know, it, I don't think we ever went into a locker room or timeout and just, you know, let the kids have it because they weren't doing this or that. We were, we were physically outmatched. And so we were always calm and tried to teach um, as much as we could during those halftime and timeouts because um, we wanted them to be sponges and, and try and learn for the future because we felt that if they could learn from the game and the season and, and carry that forward, that it would pay dividends down the road for them. Uh-huh. Coaches, mark your calendars for Saturday, April the 9th for the second annual A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic at Fort Calhoun High School in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, about 20 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We have a great day lined up for you and your coaching staff. From large group speakers to classroom sessions to discussion tables, the A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic promises to make you a better coach. Clinic rates are $40 for one coach, $75 for two coaches, $100 for three coaches, and $30 apiece for a coaching staff of four or more. For more details, check out at A Pen and a Napkin on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Coach, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day? Let's hear it. Okay, so uh, John Wooden, uh, one of the goats right up there with, you know, our first 100 we had Don Meyer, now we're into John Wooden. So uh, the John Wooden quote of the day, and feel free to comment on this, uh, Coach Mose, whenever you're, uh, you know, after you hear it. The John Wooden quote of the day is, don't measure yourself by what you have accomplished but by what you should have accomplished with your ability. It's always so weird. I have these picked out well in advance, and then we start talking, and it's it's so often the quote ends up what we end up talking about, and you're talking about this this really tough season, and and that's exactly what you did with your kids that year is don't, you know, not worrying about what you've accomplished, but worrying about what you could do with the abilities that your kids had at that time. So... You know, I, I think that just nails exactly what you talked about. Definitely. You know, it's it's all about kind of, you know, obviously everyone wants to play to their potential. Um, but, you know, it's just like you tell probably your kids, too. It's also about the journey and it's about what you learn about yourself and others and, and the habits that you build throughout that season or that year or that career that, that will really pay off, I think, um, in the long run. And, and those kids during that tough season uh, that stuck it out three years later as seniors, uh, they got to play in the state tournament. So um, the, the payoff for, for working through some hardships and adversity can sometimes be big if you, if you stick with it. Mm-hmm. So, so let's jump back in here. We're, we're going to kind of jump into your basketball philosophy, and, and we're just going to kind of uh, basketball nerd out here a bit. I want to jump back into, uh, we were just talking about it a few minutes ago, your offensive standards, uh, you know, you know, what, what was the process that you came up with that? Was it just you? Was it your coaching staff? Uh, you know, how many things are in your offensive standards? How, how do you apply it due to, uh, the season at hand? What are some things that you do in the off season with it to help develop your players in the off season? I just threw about seven questions at you all there at once. So I hope you're, I hope you're ready for that. Uh, if I, if I, if I, if I miss one of those, let me know and ask it again. But I think how, how I I probably don't remember them anyway. So, you know, (laughs) we'd have to replay it, but just, just, just kind of deep dive on that. Cause when, when you sent in your stuff to me, that was the thing that jumped out to me. I was like, Hmm, that's something that's number one on my list. Uh, you know, cause I'm always interested in obviously develop our, developing our players, uh, doing it in a tangible way, but a simple, tangible way. That's not going to take a lot of time out of my time because it's hard when you're a teacher and a coach as, as yep. most of our listeners know, but, but also, uh, we can understand it. We can come up with the formula. We can spit it back out to the kids, but also, so it's easy for the kids to understand as well. So I'm just going to let you cook here on your standards. 
Yeah, you know, I, I think you have to de- determine what works for your kids and your program and what you want to emphasize and, and what you want from them. But I just took stats, you know, you get together at your conference uh, meeting and, and everyone shares stats and and numbers as they as they they get you know you determine teams and, and nominate kids and and things for those awards and such and and I've always just kept those those stats and so I honestly I just I went through you know three four five years of statistics and just looked at you know what what do what do good players in our conference do what what numbers do they have and so just kind of looked into those and wanted something that was that was fair for everyone because everyone's not going to be an all conference player. Um, and so then I thought, what do we want to do as a team? And so, you know, one thing I know I mentioned was two point percentage, maybe, maybe an overlooked stat because sometimes look at overall field goal percentage or whatever, but I felt that we put an emphasis on, on finishing around the rim. We put a huge emphasis on that. And so I felt that the guys should be able to make half of their two point attempts. Um, and, and that's important for us to be successful. That's what we spend practice time doing. And so I thought that was a reasonable goal. Uh, the the other one I mentioned I know is three point percentage one out of three I think when you develop shooters you space the floor better your offense clicks you're harder to guard um, and and we obviously value threes uh, I think any team does momentum energy and all that good stuff so you know looking at stats and numbers I felt one out of three was was a fair number um you know a few others that that we track offensively free throws we want to shoot more free throws than the opponent you know are we attacking the basket and 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 either finishing in the lane or getting fouled um we we track um let's see here offensive rebounds would be another statistic are are we crashing the boards um and and when you looked at successful teams you know, that's what I found. They were winning the rebounding battle. They were getting to the free throw line. They were shooting threes well. They were, you know, we could go on and on at what creates uh, a winning or successful team. But we just kind of took those things that we felt would lead to success and kind of just put a, a number on them that we felt was fair and something our kids could strive to do. And so that's kind of, I guess, the, the birth of our offensive standards. And we've, we've transitioned into some defensive standards, too, because uh, what we found is that, is that kids will work to meet those standards. And so the minute we threw, you know, the, the 50% from two or whatever it is out there, you know, kids are looking at stat sheets and kids are working on practice to make sure they can can finish in the lane. And and it became a, a talk amongst the team and the kids of who can get the highest percentage. And it just kind of snowballed into this this great thing kind of for our program and something that we that we take pride in. How do you how do you share that with the kids? Is it is it like on a big massive spreadsheet in your locker room or you just you know printing it out on a piece of paper and putting it up or or how do you how do you uh share it with the kids you know uh we we track it as a team um individually i just post the the season stats or the game stats and and i think early in my career i was against that i was I was worried about, oh, well, they don't need to know this or they're going to be mad if they see this and it's not good enough or they're going to compare each other's stuff. You know, I, I kind of got away from that once we did this. And I just started posting it on, on, on the board in our in our locker room. Kids know where they stand. And uh, I think that's a great thing. Um, the kids come in every day, uh, not every day, but I should say after games and they, they want to see. They want to know, hey, I, what's what's my percent up to? Or um, sometimes if they're not doing the greatest, they might say, what did it drop to? And so I, I think there just has to be an accountability for as, as much as you can do uh, in practice and in games to hold them to really high standards and be able to, you know, show them somehow that you tracked it mm-hmm. and that you're keeping track of it. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you guys do with that in the off season? Uh, you know, as as well, and I know you're not thinking about June and July right now because you're locked in on February and March. But what have you done with with that type of stuff in the off season to to help you know piggyback on what you're doing uh, November to March? 
you know, it's, it's, it starts with conversation with kids, you know, to find their strengths and weaknesses and what they can improve upon. But I think the, the, the biggest thing is, is, is those numbers guide our practice and it guides our skill development. And so, uh, you know, we spend practice time, our first, you know, whatever, 20, 30 minutes a day at least is on skill development. And that skill development is usually geared towards our offensive standards. Do we need more time shooting? Um, do we need more time finishing? And those are things that we just, we spend a ton of time on during our season and we do the same thing in our off season. Uh, do we need to get footwork so that we can attack the basket better? Do we need to play off two feet so we can get to that free throw line more than the opponent? And so not only do those standards, uh, get tracked through a stat sheet, but it, it kind of guides us in in practice planning and in what we do and as well as our off season as far as what does each kid individually need to improve upon and and so uh you know i'm not smart enough to reinvent the wheel we keep things pretty simple Mm -hmm. uh just like i said earlier from coach crop and so uh you know we want to do those things extremely extremely well and that's that's what we do in practice and in our off season Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing that, and and I love all of that stuff. I I, I think that off season development is is so important. And the more you can track and show uh, kids where they're at and what they're doing, and, and in some cases what they're not doing, um, it, it's 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 so very important. The the other thing that you had on there, um, which like I said, I was okay. I zoomed in on this one, keeping or getting your youth coaches all on the same page. And and like we had said earlier, your community is very similar to my community. We're in the same conference, so probably so. Uh, but, you know, you've, you've got your youth teams. You've got your X amount of kids per grade that are going to play. You're, you're, you're just like us, I'm sure, where you're dependent on volunteers to do a lot of the work, probably a lot of moms and dads that are doing a lot of coaching for you. So how or what is your process of getting all of those people from all these different backgrounds uh, to do what you want them to do with your youth teams so that they're ready to play for you as as much as they can be once they reach high school? Yeah, I mean, first off, the, our, our youth program is the, is the foundation uh, for our success. And, and when I got here 10 years ago, it, it had kind of been blown up and wasn't in good shape. Um, and so that was one of the things that, 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 that we really wanted to get going so that we could build that foundation, uh, and and get the kids playing at a young age and, and learning and having fun and developing some skills. I'm fortunate to have, uh, uh, Brad Jacobson as our, as our principal, but he's also a former, uh, head coach here. Mm-hmm. And and so he is experienced in coaching and coaching basketball. So that means he ran youth camps and did all sorts of things. And he has kind of become the commissioner of our youth basketball. And so that helps tremendously uh, to have another voice and to have someone help out in that regard. And so uh, just like you mentioned, we have a lot of volunteers, uh, parents, um that, that help out and obviously do a tremendous job. The trick is then, like you mentioned, getting everyone on the same page. So, you know, I kind of developed a youth guide um, that I made for youth coaches many, many years ago, just something simple. Um, because what, what you find, I think a lot of times is, is with people who aren't coaches full time, uh, they just, you know, this is what I did in high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had an outstanding high school coach um, that I absolutely love, but I don't know that I do much of what we did in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just because we, you know, we all have to be our, our, ourselves. Um, and so, you know, I wanted basic things that, that, that kids would be able to do at certain ages. So at the time, my, my kids were young and, 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 probably when I got here, right in that first and second grade range. And so as they went through the youth processes, I kind of tracked what skills were appropriate that age. And so as they went up through third and fourth and fifth and sixth and and middle school, I just kind of charted, well, when, when should you teach screening away? When should you teach shell defense? You know, is it good to teach that stuff in third grade? You can, but 
Are the kids going to remember it? Is it appropriate at that age? And so sometimes that's, I think, one of the most important things is, is getting the coaches to teach not only the right skills, but at the right time. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that's extremely important. And so along with, with, with the guide is, is just, you know, every year we kind of meet or, or we, uh, you know, send out an email and I, and I just put together, you know, some new and different things. Like here's, here's some ball handling things. Here's, here's some finishing things, or, uh, you know, we're not sharing plays. Uh, we don't run plays in, in our youth stuff. Um, you know, we're just sharing some, some simple things, a lot of footwork stuff, um, a lot of decision-making stuff that that's fun for the kids and, and, and just kind of tell them, Hey, we're not here to win, win youth championships. We're here to, to make sure they have fun, make sure they, they learn the game of basketball and develop some skills. And so, uh, getting everyone on the same page is, is extremely important. Do you um, do you have kind of a checklist uh, in the sense of do you have you, you, you talked about the skills that are age appropriate? Uh, do you sit down with your coaches and say, okay, here, you know, fifth grade coaches, you know, uh, all two or three of you, whoever it may be, here's what I want to see from each group by the end of the season. Hopefully, you have hit these three or four major things and the same thing with sixth graders or, or is it just kind of here, take this, um, read through it. If you have questions, let me know. But when I come watch you play, these are the things that I'm looking at and, and I'm, and, and this is what I want to see when I come watch you play. Yeah. You know, a little bit of both. Um, obviously there's, there's a lot of information and, and things that I provide to them. Um, and that they can read through or, or things they can look at. Um, but also there is, there's like you mentioned a checklist of, Hey, here's, here's some age appropriate things um, that, that we would like to see you work on or that kids have and develop during this fourth grade year, during this sixth grade year and, and so on. And, and I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. The basis through a lot of those things is, is footwork is, uh, is ball handling is, is layups is, is weak hand. We're big into, you know, working on your weak hand and, and things like that. So, you know, the, the team stuff gets, gets tough for young kids. And, and, and as they go through later on and, you know, elementary and early middle school, that's when you can start to, to work on some of the spacing things and movement things, uh, more so I think, um, because, you know, having, having been to so many, youth games myself for my kids, you know, it's, it's probably not reasonable to expect third graders to, you know, pass and cut and to pass and screen away and to, to play like middle school kids. You're just not going to see that. So making sure it's, it's appropriate for them. And I don't sit down with all the coaches and tell them you need to do this or you need to do that, you know, just kind of similar to kids provide the tools and the information and, and hope that they, they follow those things and that, that, that uh, they teach those things to the kids. I really think all third graders should be able to run the triangle offense at a Chicago Bulls mid nineties level. That's that's my opinion. You know, <laughs> there if, you, you if you can't do that, you might as well hang it up right now. Yep, yep, I hear you. You know, well, <laughs> we're going to be in trouble if that's the case. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's crazy what's what some people will will do, and, and I'm sure people have looked at me and go, "You're crazy," and I'm like, maybe a little bit, yeah, but whatever. So, um, let's talk about your 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 defensive philosophy, uh, your pressure defense. You want to get up in people's faces. Uh, you you want to attack the ball. Um, you know, where does that philosophy come from? And, uh, you know, what are, what do you believe in? Is it man? Is it zone? Is it a little bit of both, uh, variety of different looks, so forth and so on. Um, how do you implement it? Um, you know, and again, there's another like five questions within one question, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, response here, uh, coach Mose. So, uh, again, you know, I'm just gonna let you talk about pressure defense here and, and what you guys do. And, and if I have any questions, I'll, I'll, I'll lob some stuff in there. Perfect. You know, again, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy, so 
I just took a look at, at what are the best teams on our schedule do? What are, what are the successful teams at a, at a state tournament? What do they do? And I think, uh, at least for our schedule, when you're playing, you know, <laughs> Wahoo and Bishop Newman and, and, and several other teams on our schedule, uh, they're applying a ton of defensive pressure and they're making you uncomfortable. You know, unfortunately, we were, we have played the, the state champion Wahoo and Newman teams on several occasions. Um, and, and I always just walked away, you know, amazed that, geez, we were just under duress the entire game. They made us make so many decisions. And, and I just felt, how, how can we do that? You know, so many teams go, oh, especially with Wahoo, oh, they run a 1-3-1, we're going to do that. Well, you can't just do what they do. Yeah, uh, they're, yeah. they're really good at what they do. And so, you know, uh, I think that can kind of be a misconception. We're just going to copy what, what that successful team does. So I just took kind of the, the themes of those teams and said, now, now how can we do it? And so, you know, you look at your personnel, you look at your strengths, what do you got? And, and, and we were a man defensive team. So playing zone wasn't even an option for us. Um, again, I don't know how to teach that. Um, it's, 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 I don't feel comfortable playing it, even though we've, we've played it some this year. Um, so we just thought, you know, let's do it with man. Well, what can you do with man? You can, you can, you know, we, you can trap some ball screens, you can trap a first pass, you can, you can do different things out of, you can apply ball pressure, uh, you can deny on the wings. There's many, many things you can do. So we just picked a couple things that we thought would work for us mm-hmm. and, and that we could do to keep the pace, you know, maybe in our favor since we felt we were a deep team or, or, or put the, uh, the opponent under a lot of duress, like we felt playing those good teams several years ago, uh, or, or even recently. And so we do, we do, we do a little bit of pressing, uh, you know, and, and get back into kind of a pressure man. And, and we kind of, you know, look at the opponent, like, like any coach would and go, Hey, what, what do you think would work well? Do we want to do this or that? And, and our kids, you know, get, get, you know, good at it, uh, the more you do it. And so you, you start to do it in practice and you sneak it into some games and you find what works and what doesn't and you tweak it. And, uh, I think the hardest part for me as a coach, well, always playing man, but amping up the pressure or even, even a press is giving up layups or open threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think as a coach, you've got to be willing to, to give some of those up for the pace that you're creating and for the sustainability, you know, there's been several games this year where we're, we're pushing the pace and, and we give up some open threes just cause they, they skip it out of there. They break the pressure, they get through the trap and they find their teammate for an open three that maybe we rush at, or maybe we don't. And, you know, you kind of get upset as a coach cause you don't want to give up an open three, especially to, to what maybe one of their better shooters, Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've had to, I've, and, and the, my assistant coaches has helped, have helped me with this. You gotta, you gotta just let some of those go. And in order to be a pressure team, you're going to give up some of those, but for 32 minutes, you're going to make that team work. And, and what we found this year, at least is in the long run, that's going to benefit us, um, to where they're going to have to do that for, for four quarters and sustain that. And what we found is usually you wear down, you make a few more mistakes as the game goes on and those shots get a little bit tougher. Uh-huh. Um, are you guys uh, like a zone team, you know, with that, are you look how much are you looking to trap? Is it just kind of, you know, what, what's your kind of system that you have in place there per se schematically that, that you guys feel really comfortable with? You know, we'll, we'll full court one, two, two. It's, it's fairly soft. Um, and, and just look for the, the trapping spots that, that any coach would look for just past half court on a sideline in a corner and, and different things like that. And so uh, we just want the opponent to make make passes and think. And, and get them near that midcourt line at six or seven seconds, maybe where they panic and do something silly. You know, pressure kind of creates abnormal behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if you can put pressure on every single possession on the opponent, you know, we feel they're just more likely to make a few more mistakes than than they normally would. And so once they once they break that pressure in the half court, we, you know, we like to trap 
uh, you know, a ball screen. We like to trap a first pass. We like to do whatever we can to, again, uh, apply pressure to the ball and put them in a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing on the ball. If, if your man has the ball, we need to pressure him without fouling or getting beat. So that's different for every player on our team, and it depends on who you're guarding to. Um, but we want to make that guy uncomfortable to the point where he doesn't have a shot or he, you know, he, he doesn't want to attack. Um, he, he gets a little dicey with the basketball. And so just, just making them uncomfortable in a variety of ways has kind of been our goal this year. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go, uh, one more thing, if you don't mind, are you, are you good with that? Yep. Okay. Let's, uh, you talked about the simplicity of things and, and your emotion guy, uh, again, kind of your overview of your motion game. Uh, what do you do to implement that? Uh, how do you implement it? What are maybe some drills that you run pretty consistently in practice to help your kids just play basketball and and make plays instead of having to to have a, a bunch of sets that you're going to call and and just those basic motion principles. Yeah, you know, so so motion can be kind of a, a, a tough deal and frustrating at times. But I, I, I my high school coach let us play. Our college coach let us play, and so uh, you know kind of start that at a young age and obviously through middle school and high school. Um, but, you know, we just try and teach screening, you know, how to use a screen, how to read defenders, whether that's an away screen, a flare screen, a back screen. We want to mix those things up. Um, cutting and flashing to the ball, you know, ball movement, uh, reversing the ball, you know, player spacing to create gaps to attack. So, you know, we, we teach all those things and then, you know, you got to, then it becomes a decision. And so to work on those decisions, you know, we like to play, you know, three on three or four on four, just because you get more touches with the ball. You got to cover more space. It's harder to defend with all that space on the floor. And, And so, um, motion can be frustrating to teach at times and, and you got to give up that freedom, but when it clicks, it's, it's just, it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch. And so, um, you know, within those motion concepts, then you need to, then you need to go back into the skills. And so can we, can we have five guys that can handle the ball, that can pass, that can catch, that can attack a gap, that can make a quick decision in a, in, in a, in a, in a two on one situation, in a three on two situation, can they move the ball and reverse it? And so you, you know, you combine those movements and spacing things you want to see with the skills that are needed and then kind of add in those decisions. That's kind of how we attack our, our teaching of motion. We don't run a whole lot of sets, um, obviously, we do, uh, you know, to get our, our players in ideal scoring opportunities. But uh, there, there's plenty of games where, where we don't run more than a couple plays during the entire game and just let our kind of our, our guys kind of play and, and, and make decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, how often or how much should I, I I should rephrase that? How much time are you spending in practice on your motion principles and developing reading those screens and coming, you know, coming off of them, uh, you know, and, and maybe where, uh, at what point in practice are you putting that in practice to work on those things? You know, usually, yeah, that's, that's fairly, that's a good question. Fairly early in practice and early in the season, you know, we, we, we can do warm, we do a lot of shooting. So one of our, you know, every, every day we start with shooting and, and that's a great place to teach your screening and, and defensive reads, you know, so, Hey, we're going to do some shooting you're going to set an away screen and the guy's going to trail you. So you're going to curl in or you're going to screen and he, he shoots through the gap. So you're going to rescreen that and fade, fade more towards the wing or the corner. And so we do a lot of that stuff early in practice and, and through other drills and, and we just keep repping it and repping it. And then obviously I think as the, as the season goes on, you kind of build into it and, and you start real simple um, and then you can obviously advance into other screen and into other type of movements based off kind of what you're, you're seeing the defense do, you know, also you've got to take into consideration the experience of your team and what you have mm-hmm. and how, how detailed and deep can you go? We have a very experienced group and a very good, uh, you know, a high IQ team, I would say. So we've dove in deeper this year to some of those movements and reads more so than we ever uh, have before. 
Um, and in other years, we keep things, you know, more simple. So I think a coach just has to kind of see, you know, what do their players know? Uh, can you pick one or two things out? And, and then can you advance that as the year goes on? Because obviously, you know, you don't want to be a robot out there and you want to have uh, different options and counters to whatever the defense might do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're te- when you're going three on three, when you're going four on four, do you have those days where you say, all right, hey, today it's it's only ball screens and we're working on reading ball. So everything is pass and go screen the ball or everything is pass and screen away or everything is pass and back screen or what, whatever it may be. Do you do you put in rules when you're working on those three on three, four on four situations? Yeah, you know, sometimes we do, and and sometimes there's no rules. I think it just kind of depends on what we want to see from the kids. Uh, you know, for example, you know, like you mentioned, we we set a lot of away screens, and they can just kind of get in a, you know, too repetitive of a, a too comfortable. Where they're always just passing and setting away screens. So we might play and go, hey guys, when when we're playing today, there's or here for the next couple minutes, that you can't set an away screen or or you know whatever thing you want to eliminate. And that forces them to work on them. And what they usually find is when they mix those things up and do different things, right? As you know, you become harder to guard. And so the more you can get them doing different things that maybe they are uncomfortable with, a lot of times uh, the more success that they'll find. And then you hope they they can build that habit in and and then use it in a game. Um, But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, kind of put rules and structure at certain times on some drills. Perfect. Perfect. Coach, any social media that you want to plug for your program tonight? You, you know, uh, my, my assistant coaches kind of make fun of me because I am not the <laughs> the uh, the most adept at social media. But uh, you know, we we do have a Twitter uh, account. I probably can't even tell you what it is right now. Uh, That's okay, man. Don't worry about but, it. We'll... Uh, yeah, they they make fun of me. I, I guess I'm just too old for them. It's okay. It's okay. There, uh, as as much as people may not want to believe it, you and I both know that there was life before Twitter and Instagram and all that other stuff. So uh, there was called conversations and things yeah, like you that. Know, it's, it's, I think it's like AG Blue Jay basketball. It's something like that. Is what okay. our Twitter is. Well, it'll be it'll be tagged on this when I when I drop it and send it out on Twitter, so folks will be able to see it there and, and follow the Blue Jays. And uh, you know, coach, you guys have had a heck of a season. Uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, unless, of course, you play our boys again for the third time, then I'm going to be quite honest with you. I, I think I'm contractually obligated to root against you. And even if I wasn't, I would still be doing that. But that's, that's uh, you know, I, I think you guys have a great chance to make a great run. And, and a lot of things can happen over the next couple of weeks here. Uh, but, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of this run here. you got a heck of a team this year. And uh, like I said, just uh, wish you nothing but the best. Well, thank you. Thanks for the compliments, and thanks for for having me as a guest here. It's always enjoyable to talk hoops. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. Uh, If you could hold on a second, I need to wrap up a couple things, but if you could hold the line, that'd be great. Yep. Awesome. Jacob Mose, the head boys basketball coach at Ashland Greenwood High School here in Ashland, uh, Nebraska, half smack in between Lincoln and Omaha. Uh, you know, you've got the best of both worlds. You've got 25 minutes to Lincoln, 25 minutes to Omaha there. So uh, for those of you curious for a geography le- lesson, that's where we're at. Uh, we, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on there. And now that my season is over, unfortunately, we'll be diving into a lot more stuff. Uh, download, rate, and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Email me with any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, April the 9th, we have a great coaches clinic lined up, a lot of great speakers. You won't regret coming out and checking that out. But in the meantime, hopefully you have enjoyed this podcast with Jacob Mose, and it's been a great conversation for me as well. Took down a lot of notes, love the stuff about the offensive standards, love the stuff about uh, the skill development and the youth commissioner and all this other good things. So uh, really good information for our coaches here this evening. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.